It's the Auburn Observer Podcast, the Monday edition. Justin Ferguson right here in Auburn, Alabama. Dan Peck, also in Auburn, Alabama. What's up, Dan? Hello, Justin. Hello, Peck Peck. Uh, no painter on this episode again. He is uh, he is on his way back to parts unknown as we speak, um, traveling back. Uh, he has uh, had a wedding he was at uh, this past weekend. I, too, uh, was at a wedding. I was in my uh, youngest brother got married on Saturday, so it's been a big big weekend here. But it's going to be just me and Dan on the mic today. Painter should be back for the, uh, for the midweek show, uh, and we'll be back to a somewhat normal schedule for the next couple of weeks before I head out of the country for a little bit. Want to dispel the rumor that Parts Unknown is at the end of West Mag by that by the park yes. there when it turns when it turns into Bird <laughs> yeah. Street. That Painter's just been living at that house. Yeah, Painter is not at the mansion from Casper that's been there at the uh, <laughs> at at the end of the block on Old Row in uh, in Auburn. So stop stop looking for him over there. No, he's not there. He's not there. You you you'll have to look for him somewhere else. He did he did text me the other night um, that he was going to Waffle House uh, and and he was very very excited about that because. Uh, parts unknown um, is not Waffle House country. Uh, it is. It is not. A, it is not a place where where you where there are plentiful Waffle Houses. You would have to drive a, a good piece to get to one. So he was happy about being near one again. Yeah, and we're gonna not we're not dropping clues about where Parts Unknown is either. It's not like Springfield, you know, where people are gonna keep thinking like, oh, I can I can find it if if I deduce enough context clues from everywhere. We're not gonna give it away. Although, no. Although it doesn't have a Waffle House is helpful because that yeah. that shaves off. That shaves off shaves a big, big chunk South. of big chunk of America. Yeah. yeah, yeah, good good chunk of the America of America is is ruled out. And but uh, yeah, Painter will be back uh, on the midweek show. He uh, he sends his regards, and also he's editing this podcast as you know uh, as we put it up. So uh, he's still he's still uh, logging in the hard hours, even on a even on a busy weekend of him or travel. So always thankful for uh, all the work he does, um, even when he's not verbally on the podcast he's always a big part of every single episode we do uh here so it's me and dan and uh dan this has been a weekend i, I know saturday friday and s- night and saturday i was doing the wedding stuff um pretty much all that whole time so didn't have an opportunity to kind of see or hear a lot of stuff if, the, if stuff happened and we're rolling into sunday recording this on uh, early sunday evening um not a bad weekend to uh, not have to uh, be glued to your uh, to your phone or, or your computer because uh, not a whole lot of news there. Not a commitment in football to talk about. Not, nothing new on that end uh, to talk about. Um, I think the closest form to news um, that we've got, and uh, as we're recording this, it's still kind of going on. Uh, Janai Broom playing well at the G League Elite Camp uh, here this weekend. So. For those of you who don't know, the G League Elite Camp is kind of like a pre-combine. It's like the combine to the combine is the best way to put it, um, where potential guys who aren't first-round, you know, prospects, um, but are trying to kind of play their way, you know, have declared for the draft and are trying to play their way uh, onto teams' radars uh, and get potentially a shot at the NBA Combine, which is also this week in Chicago. Uh, a couple of days. You have scrimmages, you have these big games. The first scrimmage on Saturday uh, was huge for Janai. 23 points, four boards. He's 8-11 from the field. Uh, as we were recording this, I kind of pulled up the stream and like 
um, I had it on just like for a couple minutes. And while I was watching it, Janai had a really big block of the rim. Um, so really good uh, showing there from Janai Broom. And it'll be interesting because, you know, those guys going in the draft, they go through the process. Um, not everybody gets invited to this point. Um, so for Janai just to get here is, is a pretty big deal. Um, and uh, it'll be interesting to see, like, kind of what, what does he want to hear from, from NBA teams? What would be a good spot for him to say, okay, you know what, I'm not going to play college ball anymore. Let me go ahead and go play pro ball right now. Everybody's level and everybody's magic words are different. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see uh, kind of what Janai thinks and, and, and what the league thinks of him because um, at least uh, one day of uh, – or at least the first half of, of the elite camp, he, he played really, really well. Justin, you've got a good read on the modern NBA game, and you've seen a lot of Janai Broom's basketball mm-hmm. career. What do you think he's hearing from NBA teams as far as his path to the NBA or or, or his, his draft possibilities, not just this year, but – really for the rest of his career I think I think what we saw kind of last half of SEC play for him last year when he was hitting threes and banging in threes um hitting some more mid-range kind of game to him when he when he when he showed that he could stretch out a little bit which is something you know when he came out of Moorhead State he didn't take very many threes at Moorhead State but he's a pretty good mid-range shooter Auburn's offense doesn't lend itself to a ton of mid-range opportunities uh, but he did have some opportunities to kick out, you know, shoot th- shoot the three. I think if he can prove himself to be a consistent threat from there, that ups his stock because in the modern NBA uh, and modern pro basketball in general, not a ton of room for just traditional back-to-the-basket big man. And I'm not saying Janai is that kind of guy, but that's where he, that's his best attribute. Like he, when he gets to go to work now low, um, he's a good inside scorer. He's got good touch um, around the around the rim. So – I think, especially for him being more of a finesse big, you know, he's not a he's not a power big. He's not a, a, a guy, um, you know, who is going to just you know uh, dominate people physically at the rim, overpower them. Um, he, he he shows a lot of good touch, and he's got a, he's got good moves. He's, and and not saying he can't outmuscle him. I think he does that, especially when he has favorable matchups. But he's not like. He's not like how Oscar Sheboy goes to work when you think of these traditional college big men. Um, he's he's more he's got more finesse to his game uh, than that, and, and that's not a knock on him. That's just that's his style, and he and he and he's pretty good at it. And and I think if you're going to be that type of big man, especially at the NBA level or at the pro level, I think they're going to say, okay, let's see if you're not if you're not just going to completely take over a game down low. We want to see our big man be able to stretch out and hit threes or hit some of these shots because that's that's so valuable in the NBA with the way. You know, modern teams defend. I don't want to overstate it, but there's a lot riding on Janai's decision for Auburn because if you take him sure, off of yeah. this roster for the 2023-2024 season, you're going to need a center. You, you, you have, you'd have to get one. You'd have to get and one, and and there's three months until the fall term starts. There are, I mean, there are bigs in the portal, but I don't know if any of them project as someone who would have a Janai Broom like impact on a team. Right now, right. I mean, it would be, it would be damaging, you know, considerably to the uh, to, to to the the ceiling of this year's team if Janai Broom decides to stay and go pro. He's got good options. I think no matter what he decides to do, I think another year of college basketball Absolutely. would be a positive thing for Janai for a variety of reasons. But if he decides he's ready to start a pro career, it might leave Auburn scrambling a little bit, right? <laughs> 
I mean, yeah, I, I, I would tend to think so. Um, if you look at your centers right now that still haven't picked teams yet, you know, it's guys that are, that are you know, either – this is on threes. On three has a couple of four-star centers right now in terms of their transfer grade. Got one that's leaving Kansas who was a – you know, the guy who just left Kansas who was a, a pretty big recruit coming out of high school. And then um, another one who uh, just left Akron uh, who was a uh, pretty big name guy. Uh, and Akron was a – I don't know if you got to see any of Akron last year, but um, – that was, a, that was a good team. I don't know if he actually played that much last year. It might have been a redshirt situation for him. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I, I would agree that that's a, that's a spot where if you are Auburn, you're going to want to get somebody because it's a center. Dylan Carball can't do it all himself. And that would be a pretty big uh, role to fill because last season, you know, it was always going to be tough to replace Walker Kessler, especially with what we saw he was he ended up doing in the NBA. And while Janai was not the defensive player that Walker is, and I mean, no one should have to live up to that standard, um, but he was Auburn's best player last season. And, you know, statistically, he, he provided a lot of impact for you. And you needed you need that. Like, that's going to be a pretty big, big role to fill. Um, but, you know, either way, good for Janai to get, you know, like you said, like he – He's in a he's in a win win situation here. Either he gets to hear what he wants to hear and he goes pro, or he comes back uh, armed with more knowledge and 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 I, more momentum personally uh, for for you know what could be a, a good senior season at Auburn. The timing is what would be more unfortunate to Auburn than anything else yes. because Auburn didn't you know Auburn wasn't waiting in the mid, at the beginning of May to find out what Walker Kessler was going to do last year. They knew that, that the the ship had sailed and they had already gone out and found Janai Broom. If Auburn had been shopping in the beginning of April, knowing that Janai Broom wasn't coming back, I think the offseason would have sure. been a little bit different for Auburn. It's almost like they've approached it believing that Janai is coming back, which makes me think, too, that, I mean, Janai's got options in front of him. I would still guess that he's playing college basketball next year, but it's become a really important decision for sure. Auburn because now if you lose Janai Broom, if you lose Janai Broom the last week of March, you at least have options to pursue. If you lose Janai Broom now, unless somebody jumps into the portal or there's a grad transfer situation, Auburn could go into next season shorthanded without him. Yeah, and and I think I think that'd be enough that you could get somebody, but again, that's replacing an, an all SEC type of player, right? And that's, you know, that's the those guys don't don't grow on trees. Remember when Janai Broom, when Auburn got Janai Broom last year, he was one of the best mid-major centers in the country uh, when Auburn got him. So, I mean, that's that's something you would like. And that's another thing about the timing of everything that makes, you know, really, really interesting because, you know, you've got pro stuff you got to weigh out. You've got portal windows and stuff to weigh out. Uh, and it's a tough it's a tough situation to be in. I mean, it's 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 not an easy stretch for for coaches at all to man try to manage your roster in this because there's so many moving parts. Keep in mind, Auburn has been recruiting Tyron Lawrence from the transfer portal. He is at the G League Elite Camp this weekend. Um, you know, they're recruiting. They, they they could be recruiting um, Julian Phillips if, if that's going to be a pos- but Julian Phillips is still in the draft right now. He's going to be at the combine this weekend in Chicago. So. It's it's a lot of time. Like you you know, it's not like football where you have this kind of defined thing. It's such a long off season where you have these two windows and the, the 
because the way because basketball is unique because basketball is a sport that spans two semesters it you know it makes things a lot more difficult to try to manage and then on top of that you only have a handful of, you know instead of 85 you have 13 and so so much can change with just one guy like a, a good player goes into the transfer portal you get a good player on a football team that's great but the seismic impact unless it is like a an award-winning caliber um player or a really really awesome quarterback i mean the impact of one guy leaving in basketball is is a lot because you know that's 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 a that's a chunk of your of your playing time. Sounds like there are a, a, a wide spectrum of opinions about Julian Phillips in the draft. There was a yep. one of the draft analysts that cited a lot. I think it's the guy from the Athletic who's got Julian Phillips in his top twenty or his top twenty five in his big board right now for the twenty twenty three. NBA draft Uh, there are other people that don't have Julian Phillips as a top 50 or a top 75 prospect in this draft so I mean I I, I'm interested to find out what he's hearing from the NBA as far as his draft outlook and whether or not he needs to come back for another year of college basketball he strikes me as the kind of person who could could maybe find a team now but could play his way into the lottery with a strong season in college basketball next Mm year yeah yeah, no, I, 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 we have seen that archetype happen before. Walker Kessler was one of these years where it's like five star, wasn't a superstar his first season, showed flashes, and I think in the case of Phillips, a guy who started a good chunk of games uh, for for Tennessee, goes and either in his second season at his current team or the second season at another school uh, through the transfer portal, blows up and becomes becomes a, a, a can't miss first rounder. Uh, Florida's uh, point guard who went to Gonzaga, uh, N- Nemhard, who, who was also yeah, Andrew, yeah. A- Andrew Nemhard. You know, Andrew Nemhard had had, a, had an okay career at Florida too. You know, don't want to dismiss it, but was better at Gonzaga and ended up becoming an NBA first round pick out of uh, out of that move. I mean, there there are players like you've said who have made that jump. Even Matthew Cleveland to an extent, although Matthew Cleveland I think was more productive in his in his time at his first school than than Julian Phillips certainly was. Uh, but it's another you know that that's. There, there's maybe it's it's like the marshmallow test, right? Like you can you can have the one marshmallow now, or if you can wait, you you can have a lot more of them later. And I think in the case of Julian Phillips, I mean maybe he wants to play his way to the NBA right now from someone who didn't have a sensational first year of college basketball. I could see the benefit of jumping to uh, to to another team and having the kind of season that 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 guarantees him a spot in the NBA. Yeah. Um. What, what do you think? I mean, since we, we talked about it a little bit with Janai, what do you think? Who are the other Auburn? It's Dylan and Jalen would be the other Auburn players in the draft right now. What, what do you think they're hearing? Um. Well, neither of those guys made it to the G League. He got invited to the G League camp, which is usually a sign that you're probably not draft material. Um, because I mean, there's so many guys who go to the combine, so many guys who go to this thing, and there's, you know, only was it only 60 draft spots? Um, and, and it's not to say you can't go pro with it without necessarily being drafted, right? You know, uh, Jared Harper um did that. You know, Auburn's had guys in the past do that, but uh, you know, I you keep you don't want to point <laughs> to this back too much because it's just a thing like Auburn. When they had the whole roster 
refresh, and it was like, oh, Jalen and Dylan are back when they were in the draft process, and like they were they were going through the process at that point. Um, much like Janai, like that kind of seems to be a pretty big signal. Now, Janai obviously had stuff ahead of him that could raise his draft stock, um, but I would be surprised if either of those guys are not back at Auburn next season because you know I think if I think if they were guys who had really good chances to go pro now or get drafted, they would have been in, in Chicago this weekend as well. Um, and again, not a dig on them. I've said it before. Jalen Williams might not be a dude who is a bona fide, you know, high level pro basketball player in, in his career, but his game and his style can be very, very, still very, very valuable at the college level, especially as a potential fifth year guy at a position where, um, you know, Auburn doesn't – it's a tough position to play. Being the four in Bruce Pearl's system is, is a tough spot to play. I mean, and maybe Auburn has shopped for potential Jalen Williams replacements this offseason. Chaney Johnson is coming in talking about playing forward. But you get the sense that unlike Wendell and unlike Allen, Auburn has approached this offseason believing that Jalen, Janai, and Dylan are coming back based, if only, on what kind of recruits Auburn has been linked to. Because you haven't seen Auburn seriously pursuing fives that look like they would come in and start immediately, or even fours that really profile as guys that would show up and immediately start. And maybe that's because even though they're going through this process, deep down I think Bruce Pearl and his coaching staff suspect they're going to have the bulk of their front court, Janai, Jalen, Dylan Cardwell, back next season in Auburn uniforms. Yeah. Uh, other news this weekend, because uh, we've touched on them here recently. Um, if you're Auburn baseball, uh, how, how's about not having any sort of letdown from your two biggest series wins of the season? You go beat LSU in, in three – or you beat South Carolina in three games, and then you beat LSU in three games in a three-game series, win two out of each of those. Then you just go and hit the road to Ole Miss, deal with the elements, deal with the doubleheader, boom, still get the sweep. Uh, this team's team's got plenty of momentum. I think they have Jack State is their final midweek game, and then they have a, a final weekend series upcoming. But man, this is a it's a really really good spot to be in if you're Auburn baseball. Again, we don't cover them in detail. We talked with Adam on the on the last um, podcast about him, you know, on the on the last premium pod. If you want to go back and listen to that, uh, but man, I mean that this. This is really impressive to see what they're doing. They've played their way into the lineup of stuff that we talk about now because they're they're approaching oh, yeah. they're approaching yeah. the uh, the SEC tournament. They've got 14 wins in league play now. I think most people would have told you even with a healthy Joseph Gonzalez. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many folks thought Auburn was winning 14 regular season conference games before the season started. For them to be at 14 with three at home against Missouri uh, to, to wrap things up. And the fact that they didn't get an inning of Joseph Gonzalez in conference play for this team to be looking at potentially 16 or 17 conference wins. I mean, that's that's host material. Um, I, I think even if even if they were to drop this series and get to 15 and 15, the chance would be there for Auburn to play their way into hosting uh, uh, in the hosting regional play uh, with a strong showing in the SEC tournament. Uh, no, it, it's a it's an out Tommy Vale has has been just sensational down the stretch for Auburn. He's played he's pitched like one of the best pitchers in the entire conference. They're getting contributions up and down the lineup. The bullpen was a huge problem the first half of the year. That 
has straightened itself out. My suspicion with the bullpen, I mean, there are a million things that could factor into it, but but my I always wondered if the fact that it was because of the lack of Joseph Gonzalez, every weekend was all hands on deck and, and crisis management rather than allowing guys to get into specific roles and understand when they're going to come in and develop something of a routine of this is the inning I'm going to work or this is the scenario that I'm most likely to work. Auburn's been able to get out of that more these last 9, 12 games and and give some relievers actual roles that they can prepare for. And the job that that Butch and and his team have done uh, just keeping spirits high and keeping guys focused on the big picture despite adversity, despite setbacks. It's one of the best jobs he's done at his time as Auburn, get, getting this team uh, to where they are right now. And they're not done. They're, they're absolutely no. not done. And it's, uh, it, it's, it's a great ride. I would encourage folks who have been you know, j- just sort of paying some attention now with the final home series and postseason around the corner – I would, uh, I'd, I'd, watch, uh, I'd, I'd watch out for this Auburn baseball team. I'd also watch out for the Auburn softball team. As we're recording this uh, Selection Sunday going on for the uh, softball tournament, Auburn uh, with a wild comeback win over Ole Miss in the quarterfinals of the SEC and then losing a close one to a really hot South Carolina team uh, that made a lot of noise as a double-digit seed. And so as we're recording this, Auburn does not know their destination yet. I'm sure by the time you know the next few minutes we'll know and we'll talk about it here Real quickly, but Matty Penta, here's a shout out, a shout out for Matty Penta, first ever SEC uh, pitcher of the year for Auburn uh, softball. And you think about some of the great pitchers that have come through this program. Um, you know, uh, there's some awesome ones that uh, coincided with some awesome ones at at other schools. Uh, but man, to to get to this point uh, for Matty Penta and and the career she's had, and then they win on. Uh, on Thursday, uh, that 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 semifinal, that quarterfinal matchup against Ole Miss, that comeback does not have her best stuff at all that day. Still comes back in a jam and, and gets out of a bases loaded jam to at the end of, at the end to hold on to it uh, for Auburn. So, uh, yeah, shout out to Maddie Penna. Um, she gets you know, like I said, first Auburn softball pitcher to ever win SEC Pitcher of the Year. Uh, was also All Defensive Team, which is the first one in several years Auburn's had for that. Um, and uh, this this Auburn softball team um, playing playing really good softball at this point, and we said it here recently. Shout out to Mickey Dean. Um, this has not been an easy time building Auburn back up to a team like this, where they can be contenders in the SEC and you know uh, potential re- regional host uh, year in and year out. And uh, they've got they they've gotten they've made great strides to get back to this point. And he was always known to be a pitching guy. You know, that was his, that's his, uh, much like Butch Thompson is on the baseball side, he's known to be a pitching guy. Um, the offense coming alive here for Auburn this season, I think, has been a huge part as well. Re- reading some of uh, some of the accolades from Penta's season, uh, this is from Auburn's release uh, in her be- being named uh, pitcher, uh, conference pitcher of the year. She led all pitchers in the conference uh, with 65 innings or more. Uh, wo- Everyone who pitched 65 innings or more, she led them all with a 1.02 ERA, uh, finished league action with a 12-2 record. Uh, She started 15 games in league play, went the distance in 13 of them. That includes six shutouts, two one-hitters, and a no-hitter. It was the first no-hitter by an Auburn uh, pitcher in nearly 20 years in SEC play. So a sensational season for Matty Penta. And like we were saying with the baseball team, they're not done either. A couple players made the... uh, uh, second team, 
all conference. So shout out to um, uh, to Denver Bryant and uh, Nelia Peralta as well for, uh, for for, uh, for for making it as far as they did. All right, so there's a little controversy going on with softball at the moment because I just said that Auburn uh, had a really good chance to host. They finished ahead of Alabama in in the conference. Alabama got the fifth overall seed. And this just came through from softball as we were recording this. Auburn is not hosting a regional. They are going to Clemson. They are they look like they are the number 17 overall seed. That is Clemson at 16, Auburn, Cal State Fullerton, and UNC Greensboro is that regional. Um, so an Alabama team that um, was behind Auburn and other teams uh, heading into the SEC, SEC tournament. They get to the semifinals. They lose to Tennessee, who ends up winning the whole thing again. Tennessee only got the four seed, despite being four games better than Alabama. Uh, Alabama's the five seed, and Auburn is not hosting. That is that is pretty wild. And uh, that also means, as the 16th seed, if Auburn happened to get out of the first weekend and win that Clemson Regional, they get number one Oklahoma in the Supers. So... That is a brutal draw for Auburn, especially especially in light of some of where, where some of these other teams landed in the SEC. I want to make sure I get this right before I say it, but Oklahoma softball this year, I believe they've played 50 games. Justin, do you know how many of them they've won? Uh, ha- are they undefeated? They are four. They are okay. They are they are, they've played 52 games this uh-huh. year. They are 51 and one. Whew. 18 and 0 in conference, 15 and 0 at home, and they will go into the postseason on a 43 game winning streak. The number 1 team in the country that could be waiting for Auburn in the Super Regionals in Norman, Oklahoma. All right, well, Auburn softball. Now as they for the play- as for the Bama thing, uh, Bama, the, the computer rankings have liked Alabama a lot uh, all, all year. I think Bama is second in the conference in RPI. Uh, third. Okay, so Bama is LSU's number seven nationally in RPI. Tennessee is 10. Alabama is 12. So five is kind of a high ranking, but I'm not shocked to see Alabama as, as one of the top 16 seeds uh, hosting. Would have been cool to see Auburn in there, uh, but like you said, it, it appears they're going to be the top 16. two seed. Top yeah. two seed in the draw. Yeah, t- sixteen. Being a top sixteen team seed is fine. I think people are up in arms that being the f- number five team, considering the four ahead of them. I mean, they were fifth in the SEC this year, and they're fifth overall. And that, and, and, and you know, conference standings is just one piece of the puzzle. But um, to only be one back from a Tennessee team that that you know, to borrow a soccer term, you know, won the double in in um, in the SEC this year is pretty tough. So. Uh, Auburn playing on um, Friday at 4:30 against Cal State Fullerton, and uh, that will be uh, that will be the start of the uh, regional that they have with uh, Clemson. That is that is brutal. I mean, the Clemson aspect of it is is what it is. Oklahoma yeah. loom. I mean, you got to take on the Death Star in the in the second round of this thing. I mean, that is. It's a forty-three game win streak, Justin. You don't you don't see that in very many sports in college athletics. And guess what? They're joining the SEC soon. And Texas is no slouch either. 
Uh, Texas is the 13th seed in this in the, in this uh, year's softball. By the way, Texas and Texas A and M are in the same regional. That'll be fun. That'll be fun. So, all right, we got that. Got got the news and notes uh, taken care of. Before we move on to the main part of today's show, let me first tell you guys what you could do to help out our show if you enjoy it. You can subscribe to the Auburn Observer. For just $6 a month or $60 a year, you get every newsletter we do on Auburn football and men's basketball. You get our football roster tracker, basketball roster trackers that, that are updated uh, whenever there is movement. Uh, all of our podcast episodes, so we have this one that comes out usually on Mondays uh, here in the off season, uh, or Monday or Tuesdays in the off season. the early uh, edition that's free for everybody. But you get twice as much of this show if you subscribe uh, because you get the midweek episode, which is just for Auburn Observer subscribers. We email everything to you as soon as it comes out so you can read um, on your own time. You can listen uh, as soon as a podcast comes up. You don't have to wait to see when it drops on your uh, app of choice or have notifications or anything like that for your, those apps because they can be unreliable sometimes. You'll know exactly when because you get an email as soon as we put it out. And, uh, yeah, check it out, auburnobserver.com. Um $6 a month or $60 a year, sign up there. You can also help us out uh, by giving us a review on Apple Podcast. Give us five stars. Write something nice about Dan and Painter in there, uh, and we will read it on the air because we are vain people. But also, it really does help us out a lot. Uh, it gets more people's uh, eyes and ears on the product, and uh, that is that is what we're out for uh, mostly. Um, you, you guys... Uh, who listen and subscribe are our biggest marketing, you know, wing that we have here at the Observer. Uh, we don't do uh, very little sponsorship at all. I mean, the only sponsorship we really have is Homefield, and that's because they've been day one with us and they made our T-shirts, so we we shout them out. But we like to make this thing 100% subscriber funded, uh, and that comes from y'all. And by giving us a free review on Apple Podcast. Uh, giving us five stars in that review, it does help us out a ton. So we are um, looking forward to that. We have a new review to read. You ready? It's from our friend CCS4AU. It said, since its inception, I've loved the AU Observer. Thanks for the football and basketball recruiting updates on the pod. An easy catch-up when I don't have time to read. No, you don't want to spread yourself too thin on coverage, but I look forward to guests discussing baseball this time of year and the big wins. So would have, would have liked that last segment we did there. Enjoying the addition of Dan Peck and his tossing in some baseball from time to time. Happy belated birthday, Painter. Thank you, CCS4AU. That is an easy way to help us out because more written reviews and more five stars just help us out a ton. So thank you guys so very, very much for that. And thank you for the kind words. And, yeah, uh, the, the Dan Peck addition to the to the Observer podcast has, I mean, uh, nothing but five-star reviews. I, for, it's just critical acclaim at this point. High Rotten Tomatoes score. I, I really appreciate the kind words from folks, including uh, CCS uh, for AU there. My, my understanding is that leaving reviews and rating uh, helps Apple decide that you're not all robots, right? Like Apple can yes. understand that actual human beings are enjoying the show. And, and while – well, we're open to robot listeners too. You don't want to, uh, you know. Once once they take over, I want them to understand I was on their side the whole time. But 
humans are the uh, the primary audience at the moment. So yeah, please uh, please leave reviews and yeah, thank you again for all the kind words. Also, we just mentioned Homefield Apparel, homefieldapparel.com, the number one place to buy vintage collegiate apparel. We're talking the softest t-shirts, hoodies, sweatshirts that money can buy with the best Auburn logos that you can get. And a lot of them are ones, pretty much all of them are actually ones that you can't get anywhere else. Um, go to homefieldapparel.com and buy some of your uh, friends, family, yourself, some cool Auburn gear. You can get 15% off your first order at Homefield Apparel by using the promo code Observer when you check out. You can also get the official Auburn Observer t-shirt if you like our logo and say, hey, that's a cool logo. I wish it was on a Navy t-shirt. Well, folks, we have that just for you. Just search Auburn Observer at Homefield, and you are on your way. Justin, I used to live near Fairfax Avenue in Los Angeles where they do a lot of these fashion drops, and they'll, you know, very limited edition. So I would see long lines of people waiting outside t-shirt stores or something, and I, I couldn't tell how many of them were people that had been paid by the folks that actually wanted the shirt to wait in line. Right, How many yeah. pe- people that are just going to put the shirt on eBay the moment they can. But, I'm, you know, Homefield could start doing, hey, we're only going to make 15 of this shirt, so, oh, you, be- yeah. so you better watch out. I'll, I'll li- the, next, the next Observer shirt will be limited edition <laughs> just a limited from run. Homefield. We're only, th- only going to do 10 of them or something. I, I, think, I, think, uh, I think Split Zone Duo has had some limited drops with Homefield before, and I know they've done limited drops themselves. Like, their bomber jackets are all limited. So... Homefield Homefield knows how to how to how to um, how to get the get the customer feeling special. I'll, yeah, I'll tell you that much. They're they're doing great work at Homefield. Shout them out. All right, Dan. Uh, for the rest of this podcast and the bulk of our podcast today, we're we're in the off season. You know, we still got uh, some good uh, transfer portal movement going on on the football side and on the basketball side. We want to talk some football though. By the way. Bruce Pearl uh, is uh, is going to be back on the little speaking circuit this week. Um, I know he's speaking Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, I think, as well. Um, I'll be at, at least one of them, maybe two of them. So we'll have some basketball stuff this week from Bruce. Hugh Freeze, uh, the second half of the ambush tours this week as well with Bruce and with John Cohen. So a lot of stuff coming up at the Observer this week uh, from what we get from, from, from those guys. So we want to switch over to football here. Uh, uh, for the rest of the show, uh, it, it's the off season. We're hitting, we're hitting the the time where we're we're starting to switch from okay. Here's what happened in the spring ball. Here's what's going on in the transfer portal until we push into season preview because June's gonna be right uh, you're coming right up, and June is huge. Like Athlon drop, Phil Phil Steel drop, July's media days, you know, a whole lot of action going on um, when it comes to. Uh, preseason preview stuff and one of the signs one one of the good you know uh mile markers for the for the preseason uh and that kind of you know that kind of action literally is through uh win totals so some of you aren't gamblers and i get that i understand that and uh probably most of you because a lot of you live in states where that's not legal but uh win totals are a really good way uh, to kind of see what what is being thought of of teams right now. And so um, heading into the season, you get a win total and say, okay, higher or lower, you know, make your bet and all that. But for us who are talking about these teams, it's a good kind of barometer. Okay, here's what the world thinks of. Here's what, here's what the experts who are, you know, who are paid to know and get paid to know a lot of this stuff uh, out in – 
you know, either in the desert or on, on these offshore sites, um, what are they saying about teams? And Auburn, we, we just had a really recent drop of, of win totals, and Auburn is currently, I'm looking at uh, Vegas Insider, which is one I use a good bit. They have, uh, let's see, FanDuel, BetMGM, Caesars, and DraftKings up, although I don't, I don't think MGM's got lines out yet on this. But Auburn, Dan, their win total at the moment for the season is six and a half. Six and a half wins. So you may be saying, well, a team can't win six and a half. That's because they want to make sure there is a winner and a loser with betting. You know, there's not very many there's not very many point totals on here that are even numbers because that's you know, nobody likes to push, especially especially the casinos. You know, you want to you want to have some real action here. So six and a half for Auburn. We're gonna go. We're gonna talk about kind of game by game through the, through the schedule and kind of our thoughts on it. But Dan, you hear six and a half for Auburn, and your immediate reaction is what? I think it's understandable. Not not that yeah. I not that I project Auburn as a team that's going to go six and six or seven and five exactly. Although I think that's that's reasonable, uh, but. There are folks who could be looking at Auburn as a four or five win team in year one. There are, could be people that are more bullish about Hugh Freeze in year one and, and like Auburn to win more than seven games. So I think six and a half, six to seven is probably a happy middle ground, a compromise between the folks that are in wait and see mode and, and the folks that believe Hugh Freeze can win some games in year one. I, I think six and a half is a good number. I think I think it's understandable to have Auburn as a team that you think is going to make a bowl game this year. It's how much like how more how much more bullish are you on Auburn past that? And everyone's going to have their own answer on that. And some some may hit the under and say, you know what, Auburn's going to scrape just to get to a bowl game this year or maybe not even make a bowl game. But I do find this interesting uh Dan because uh Auburn is at six and a half right now. Uh, yeah, it's at six and a half right now. Do you know what they were last year heading into the season? Do you know what Auburn's win total was I last think year? it was either five and a half or six and a half, wasn't it? I want to say we were probably in that same. Maybe were they at seven and a half? Was it? I, I'm thinking it's. I'm thinking it's really close to where it is now. It is exactly six and yeah. a half. Yeah. From what I'm looking at, this it, it makes sense, right? Because Auburn. Not a lot of people thought Auburn was going to be a team that definitively was going to not, you know, have a losing season. Now, I think there were some people who were pessimistic about Auburn last year, and you know, as hindsight shows, you had every right to be. Um, but this six and a half feels different than the other six and a half because when you have back-to-back losing seasons, like like Auburn, if Auburn clears it, if Auburn wins seven games this year, it's like okay, well, they have not done that. You know they haven't done that in a in, in a full season since what 2019? Because 20, I mean 2020 was you, you can't really say too much about 2020. They were six and five in 2020. You know, not a full season. You only had you, you're missing two games in your regular season. Yeah, it's been a minute since Auburn's kind of been a team that's a that's a seven win team. So I think, and we'll go through it kind of step by step, you know, with these games. But my initial reaction when I first see this is like. Six and a half makes sense. I think that's kind of where they're at. I think I think most people could be on a boat of this team is going to win six games or they're going to win seven. You may have some folks out here who say eight or nine. I'm sure some very optimistic fans do, and I'm sure there's some 
pessimistic folks, maybe not necessarily the Auburn fan base who'd have them now making a bowl game. But I think most people are kind of in the boat. It's like, yeah, they'll probably take a step forward, but let's not expect this giant leap. I think part of the reason it's, it's tough to, uh, to, to be firm in your predictions about Auburn right now are because you look at the rest of the division and you're not really sure what to make of Ole Miss, Arkansas, Mississippi State, A&M with, with Jimbo Fisher and Bobby Petrino coexisting. Even LSU and Alabama, as great as they were last year, I mean, LSU played a highly competitive game with Auburn uh, despite uh, winning the SEC West and not losing a game to anyone else in the West all season. So, yeah, I think it's... Part of your opinion on Auburn has to factor in your opinion on these other teams in the SEC West. And, I mean, even before Auburn added Peyton Thorne, I wasn't sure about how much daylight was between Auburn and the teams that people think are better than Auburn in the SEC West. You add Peyton Thorne, and now it's fair to wonder – you know where Auburn ranks in the uh, you know in, in in the list of quarterbacks in this league, and I could see why. Yeah, I, I could I could see why folks would take a bullish view on that that six and a half win total. We'll, we'll talk about these teams individually and in matchups, but to Dan's point, if you look at the SEC West, and God willing, this is the last year of the divisional system because when Texas and Oklahoma come in, hopefully we're we're going to this rotating pod, whatever you want to call it, schedule. Uh, the three six six, please, would be would be preferable for everyone involved. But t- to your point, Dan, Ole Miss right now uh, seven and a half is their win total. Uh, Mississippi State uh, has the same win total as Auburn at six and a half, which obviously Mississippi State, uh, due to the to to the passing of Mike Leach and just everything that's gone on there. I mean, that's uh, there's a lot of questions about what state's going to look like this season, um, and and you know they're a very big mystery. Um, for a number of reasons. Um, Arkansas right now is currently at six and a half. Six and a half right now on FanDuel. You have a flat seven on uh, the other two, um, Caesars and uh, DraftKings. Uh, LSU is humming right now. They're at nine and a half across. Alabama, um, Alabama is currently at ten and a half or ten, depending on where you're looking. So another double digit win season projected for Alabama, which I don't think anybody's surprised there. And then the the, the, the big one everyone would like to point out right now is Texas A and M. Two of the books have them at seven and a half. I'll see another one at eight and a half right now. So it's interesting because, I, like you were saying, those Mississippi schools and Texas A and M. I mean, A and M's got more talent than a lot of teams with just natural recruiting talent, but we all watched what A&M was last year. And it's like, is this year, like you can say maybe some of those young players, some of those freshmen that, that really highly a class from, from a couple cycles ago, hey, they've got more experience now. They're going to be guys that have been through it before, turn them loose. Maybe Bobby Petrino is is the guy they want at, at, at you know, offensive coordinator because – Bobby Petrino is a lot of things. It's a lot of things. Um, but when he is cooking as an offensive, like things are going well, he's a really good, you know, X's and O's guy and, and, and a good quarterback guy as well. Like he, Lamar Jackson became a Heisman winner and is the guy, the highest paid player in the NFL right now because Louisville took him from Miami when he was 
a very raw athlete quarterback and a guy who had sat, he sat on record like when he was in high school, they didn't even have a playbook. They were just kind of just drawn up and going on the sidelines to a guy that, you know, is, has been a, has been a phenomenal, was a phenomenal college player has been uh, a really good NFL player as well. So, I mean, that's what Petrino is when we got, but we've also seen Petrino offenses just completely nosedive. And of course, you know, some of the older folks, and I'm not saying too old, but you know, some of the older some people who aren't in college right now or, or younger can remember when Petrino was here and, and kind of what and 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 kind of what uh what the offenses looked like back then, and obviously when when Auburn uh, when when Jetgate happened, and and you know Petrino was a hot ticket item, um you know before everything fell, fell apart with the with the Falcons and all that. Yeah, I've I've been a fan of Bobby Petrino's work for a long time, and you know I, f- I find myself feeling a little guilty about it at you know, at times. But I think the guy, um, you know, like like you said, when his offenses are at their best, they're some of the best offenses in college football. Going back to when he was Auburn's offensive coordinator, those Louisville teams before he went to the Falcons, the the Arkansas team his last year. I mean, they might have been the third best team in college football behind Alabama and LSU who played for the national championship that season. Like that Arkansas team that went, I think, I think the only two losses they had in the regular season were two that those Alabama and LSU teams that played each other for the national championship. So, I mean, it was a, I mean, and and then of course that got derailed in spectacular fashion, but there's, I don't know. I, I, A&M such a tough one to me because I like, I, I like a lot of Jimbo's track record. I like a lot of Petrino's track record. I think that there's something intriguing about Connor Wegman. It also feels like this thing is taking on water and trending sure. in the wrong direction in a way that, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm my general advice is don't gamble on sports. But of yeah. all the numbers, of all the numbers you've said, under eight and a half on A and M is one of the first ones that stands out to me as something I would I would understand somebody pounding. I did find it interesting this past season that, you know, A&M gets this really huge recruiting class and there's a lot of there's a lot of uh talk around it um and a lot of hype around it. And A&M is this like A&M almost beat Alabama, but they also got got blitzed by Appalachian State. Auburn beat them <laughs> with out a head co- without a permanent head coach in place after firing a, uh, their head coach, almost said without a head coach, that would be a great disservice to the great work that the Cadillac Williams did during his, his during the month of November. So let me let me be very clear about that. A and M's offense was appalling in that so Auburn bad. game. Like let, so I mean, bad. let's be let's I mean that Auburn game and and if if Auburn had lost that game with A and M playing offense like that, I think it would have been, you know, it would have been a, a wound. To Auburn fans oh, yeah. that had shown that had shown up in full force, and and even to guys on that team, but yeah, that that offense was difficult to explain in the second half, and some of it might be play calling, some of it might be talent at individual positions. You know, they, they don't they don't have the they don't have the receivers and the quarterbacks, and the running backs producing like they did uh, in in years past. Uh, but that's. It's a pivotal year for Petrino, for uh, not Petrino, for for Jimbo Fisher. I mean, it, it, more than just about any other coach in the league, maybe Billy Napier, because you, you can't you can't take a step back in year one and then another step back in year two. Right at at big time programs like I think Florida needs to see improvement this year to feel good about the Napier experiment. But Jimbo Fisher's out of time. 
Like it, if if they're it's got, not, it's got, you got to produce. And like if, they beat they beat LSU last year. They almost beat Alabama, beat Arkansas. I mean, like it, it wasn't like they were completely inept. But during that losing streak, man, they looked lost. Uh, and and that was you know the culmination of that being Auburn, just I mean, two hundred fifteen yards of offense on sixty plays was was all A and M got in that game. That's that is brutal. That against is brutal. against an Auburn defense that had not performed well in other SEC games, right? I mean, Arkansas yeah. Yeah. Arkansas a couple of weeks earlier had Oh, it just ripped them up. Yeah, it was I mean, it was 38 points at the end of the third quarter and and got Ar- off to a rough, and got off to a rough start against Mississippi State. Yep. Just a week earlier. Yeah. For sure. All right, so let's go through the schedule and kind of see, you know, with the line being six and a half right now, kind of let's use that to shape uh, our opinions uh, of this, or, or I guess we'll shape our opinions and then compare it to that six and a half. That's a better way to put it. Um, Auburn opens the year against UMass. Um, if you don't know anything about UMass, uh, they don't even play in a conference anymore. They're still FBS. They are no longer a MAC team. Um, Captain Jack Driscoll of, of yes. uh, from, from from UMass, former Auburn tackle, uh, who was uh, tra- transferred in after playing for the uh, the Minutemen, right? Yes, played for the Minutemen. Don Brown uh, is uh, <laughs> Don Brown was uh, back as their head coach, former Michigan defense coordinator, back as their head coach last year as an independent. UMass went one and eleven. Their only win was against Stony Brook. Um, they only lost A and M by seventeen, but uh, lost by thirty two to Tulane, forty five to Toledo, twenty eight to Temple, um, eighteen to Liberty. Uh, they could have. They could have gotten Jimbo Fisher fired. They could have won. Have, that, they yeah. they could have. They could have won that game and probably gotten the plug pulled on that experiment. And then an Army team that finished six and six at the end of the year beat them by thirty-seven. The year before that, UMass went a one and eleven. The year before that, UMass went zero and four in a in a COVID year. The year before that, UMass went one and eleven. The year before that, they were four and eight. Um, so it has been since. Let's see. It has been since 2018 since they've won more than one game in a year, uh, and I think since they've jumped, they jumped up to FBS. Yeah, since they've jumped up to FBS, their best record is looks like four and eight in 2017. Right after they they left the MAC, um, not not ideal. Not ideal. This uh, this is a this is a UMass team that I think we can say without much of a doubt is the worst program in FBS right now. I I, I think I mean New Mexico's not that great either. Um, it, yeah, New Mexico's been the worst offense in America for the last two years running. So maybe New Mexico. Um, I'm gonna look at New Mexico here real quick and see what what kind of uh what kind of football they're uh what kind of football they've been playing recently. But it's uh, I will say this: it's not an FCS game, but it might as well be. And I'll tell you this as well: it, it's there's a lot more FCS games you can play that would, that would be a more competitive game. Than this like I I don't know how good Sanford was off the top of my head. I don't know how good Sanford was last year. Sanford might put up a better fight than. Than UMass will maybe. I mean, it's going to be year one. It's going to be game one of year one. You're going to be working out some kinks and all that. There is going to be a lot of excitement, but also like 
this is bad. I mean, their their win loss total right now, like I said, UMass is the only one you can bet on at the moment. Is at DraftKings, it is one and a half. It is. Are they going to get that second win or not? Are they are they playing a lot of road road games against Power Five opponents for paychecks? Like, is that the is that the the strategy last of year, the last year? A and M was the only one they played. Oh no. Because then, because yeah. then at least, right? Like if they were playing eight road games against right. Power Five teams, yeah, well, they got no chance. All right, I'm willing to call UMass the worst FBS program. Yeah. New there Mexico, New Mexico won nine games in 2016. UMass has not won more than than four since they've moved up to FBS. I think I think Brian Batiz, old school, has an yeah. argument. I mean, they're in the mix now. South Florida's yeah. won; they've won four games in three years. I think, and the yeah. American, and the American is not, uh, especially when you get past the top two or three teams. The American is not that much better than a lot of the Group of Five uh, leagues that that are that are playing bowl subdivision football. So, I mean, I'm not going to say they're worse than UMass, but they're they they, went, played, they they went to a bowl game in 2018. They beat Auburn in uh, 2007. Right, came oh, yeah, came yeah. came to Auburn and won, uh, and, uh, you know, fifteen years ago. But but no, the uh, yeah, it's, there was that. There was the that. Bulls. Were... The Bulls have gotten horrible, and it's it's a, a really kind of astonishing to see. So I think we're pretty firm on this one. A win for Auburn. It, it could look a lot of different ways of how it goes, but should be a win. That's a that's a, almost an automatic win right there. Then week two against Cal, the Cal Golden Bears, Cal. Uh, opinions are split. You can get anywhere from four and a half to five and a half on the Cal Golden Bears this year with their win totals. The last time we saw Cal play football, they were four and eight last year under Justin Wilcox, two and seven uh, in the Pac-12. Uh, lost a close one to Notre Dame early in the season when Notre Dame was figuring some stuff out. Uh, lost to Colorado in overtime. That was a close one, but beat Stanford. Um, uh, they gave they gave UCLA a pretty good game at the end of the year. Only lost by lost by a touchdown that one. So a lot of close losses on this docket. Their wins last season: UC Davis, which is FCS team, beat a UNLV team that is also one of the worst ones in the FBS by six. Beat Arizona, which everyone seems to be doing these days, and uh, Stanford uh, as well. Uh, Cal um, has not been to a bowl game since 2019 under Wilcox. Uh, when they won the Red Box Bowl, remember Red Box over uh, they, they still have Red Box over Illinois. So interesting stuff coming on from from Cal this year. Justin Wilcox is highly respected. Or, you know, even with that win loss record, there were a lot of people who thought that he could get the Oregon job uh, when. Oh yeah, uh, when great Mario defensive Christ- coach. Yeah, when, when Cristobal left for Miami, there were there were folks who thought that Justin Wilcox, despite the win loss record, uh, could be in line for for a bigger job. I think there are folks around the industry who think. He's one really good season at Cal away from being a hot name for more traditional powerhouses, but they you're, you're right. They, they have not been, especially of late, they haven't been great. You mentioned UC Davis. Uh, they, they, opened, uh, they opened with UC Davis last year. That's Dan Hawkins, former, uh, former Colorado and Boise State coach. Uh, Dan Hawkins is the, uh, is the man, I want to say it, his alma mater uh, there at, at UC Davis. Yeah. Uh, but it's, uh, uh, yeah, no, I, I think... I think Cal is a – that is a sneaky road game for a team to play in week two. I'm glad Auburn doesn't have a huge conference home game a week later. Right. Because I think that would add to 
you know, the, the, the feeling that you're overlooking a power five team that you're going to go on the road to play. Uh, but, but I would think Auburn's got the superior roster, especially if they can straighten out quarterback things. I don't know what the line's going to look like at kickoff, uh, but, but I, would, I would think Auburn goes in with a pretty good chance to win that game. Cal's, just got, Cal's been on this run of these close losses. I was looking, so they lost by a touchdown to Notre Dame in 22, lost by two at TCU in 21. I'm looking at like nine conference games for them. Didn't they beat Ole Miss a couple of years ago under Wilcox? They beat Ole Miss. They beat Ole Miss. They were ranked and beat Ole Miss at um, at Vaught Hemingway. Um, beat Washington. That was the last year they made a bowl game. This, I mean, this is a in Cal. Cal, and we'll, we'll get we'll dig in more into Cal and kind of who they have and what they're bringing back. They'll, they played North Texas the week beforehand in Denton, by the way. That game is that game is in the Metroplex. They're they're playing they're playing at North Texas, so Auburn will be their home opener. Um, we'll dig in more into them. It's like this is a bottom half Power Five team. Uh, this is a team that has had a string of not making it to to, to ball games. Now Auburn's in the same spot as well, but Pac-12 versus SEC. Like you said, Dan, Auburn's going to have a better roster. I think we all can can, can kind of see that. Um, Last season, uh, Cal was 93rd in total defense, and they were also 74th in total offense. So, I mean, that's a, that's the kind of they, team that you're that you're going to get. They were Colorado's one win last yes. year. The one one eleven Colorado beat Cal uh, last season uh, in in Boulder. I believe that game went to I believe that game went to overtime. The one Cal- thing that sta- Colorado did not win a game yes. in regulation yes. last year. That game went in overtime. The thing that stands out, though, to me is that outside of the Oregon State game last year, they didn't really. Uh, Oregon beat them by eighteen. Oregon State beat them by twenty-eight. Washington State beat them by nineteen. The rest of these games were close. So those other eight losses were. So Cal just seems to me they're going to be a team that hangs around. I think and, and it's going to be pesky. Of course, if Auburn goes in and they don't have all their ducks in a row, Cal can definitely beat them. It's a road game against a Power Five team, but it's a but it's a team that I mean. In Cal, you're not expecting them to, you know, you're not expecting Cal to have this just massive um, recruiting class year in and year out. Let's see, I'm looking at, uh, let's say they were 70th this this past season uh, or this past cycle uh, in in recruiting. Um, the year before that, they were 59th. So it. Still, with Auburn's recruiting swoon, it's a very big gap between them and and Cal in terms of pure talent. I would think it's a benefit to Auburn too that they're playing such an overmatched opponent in Week One. Yeah, and, and that's not that's not to say Auburn doesn't need to be ready for UMass, but I, I think Auburn can spend some of some of the preparation time that would be going to a really tough Week One opponent, and they can focus sure. some of that time on Cal. I don't know if Cal has the same luxury. You're going on the road. And playing a Group of Five team, you know, and, and it's a North Texas team that's won some football games and and ran. Uh, uh, they uh, they've lost a couple of players in the portal, uh, but it's a you know I, I think Cal's probably got to be they, they got to be on their toes and on upset alert week one, and, and they can't be as focused on the SEC team that they're hosting the second week of the season. We so I, I think we both are thinking this is a win for Auburn. I mean I. It's it's more it's more towards toss up than definite win, but you feel pretty good about that one, I think, if you're Auburn, and, and you and you and you take that. All right, 
So, so let's see. We're operating on a probably two and zero thing. All right, week three, Sanford. I just mentioned. I bet Sanford. I said you know there would be FCS teams better than UMass. Uh, I should have known. Sagarin has this. Uh, you can look at the Sagarin ratings, which combine uh, FBS and FCS together. Uh, last season, UMass was one eighty eight. The Sanford Bulldogs were one twenty two, which means they were better than a handful of FBS teams. Um. 180, 188. Oh yeah. my god, no. Yeah. Uh Sanford uh last season uh won the SoCon and uh lost uh lost in the division. Let's see, lost in the FCS quarterfinals to North Dakota State by 18. Uh lost to Georgia. That was 33 nothing uh in week 2 last year. Again, FCS versus FBS, you should you should pick Auburn to win every single time. Sanford's Sanford's a team that can put some points up on the board. It will be that game will be a test right before you get an SEC play of just hey how ready is your offense how ready is your defense because uh, I'm looking at their scores last season they only scored 27 against the Kennesaw State team that runs a triple option that that holds on to it but then after that 33 35 34 28 55 38 34 35 50 48 before losing so Sanford. Chris Asher and that offense uh, definitely can put can put some points up on the board, and uh, that's, that's what you expect when you when you play Sanford. And I don't want to dismiss the possibility that Sanford could come to Auburn and, and play well offensively. It's especially when you get into Power Five programs that have things organized, you know, that aren't in disarray. It's so tough for an FCS team to compete over the course of a whole game if, if things aren't breaking right for them. There was that Mercer game in 2017 where Auburn Jack was up. State, obviously. Yeah, Auburn was up a touchdown in the final quarter. But even that 2017 team. Yeah, that 2017 I mean, team ended up beating Alabama when they had yeah, the West. They, yeah. they, they weren't in disarray, but they were you know playing a, a close game with, uh, with, with the Mercer Bears uh, early, hey, in the, uh, early in the season. This will be the fourth time Auburn has played uh, – this will be the fourth time Auburn has played Sanford in the last 12, 13 years. Uh, 2011, they only won by 19. Uh, won by 24 in 2014. Uh, and then uh, in 2019, uh, won 52-0 towards the end of the season there. So um, this will be a better Sanford team than what you saw in 2019. This will be not as good of an Auburn team probably as one you saw in 2019. So. You know, I wouldn't expect uh, if Armour comes out and just blows the doors off of them and, and says, you know, just kind of messes with them like they're like they're any other FCS team. That's a good sign. Uh, but you know, this should be a win, and Auburn should be three and zero heading into Kyle Field in Week Four against those very same Texas A and M Aggies we talked about. And we we just we just rolled through how we felt about about A and M, but I wanted to say this, Dan. This one, I think, is a this is a tone setter game for Auburn to kind of see. All right, how far along are you? How ahead of the curve are you? We have seen Hugh Freeze in the past win games, upsets, uh, even on the road um, early in the season, uh, even at some new places. A and M on the road. Does A and M have their stuff figured out by week four um, on offense, especially? Also, you have to remember, it was it was took till twenty eighteen for a team for a home team to win in this series, and then obviously A and M did it again in twenty one. Um, yeah, I mean, this this first three games of the year for A and M 
uh, host New Mexico. They go to Miami, and then they host ULM. So these teams should be good and fresh for that matchup. It's a toss-up. I don't think it's a definite loss. I mean, maybe I'm saying that because I'm just biased against a and I'm, I'm in, like, believe it when, when I see it mode with A&M, and I have been for years now. I mean, this one could be like it. Season's not lost. Season's not isn't isn't rolling. You know, rolling out of control. If you lose this game, but if you go into College Station and get a win on the road, and and start your season out four and zero, this is like okay, we're ahead of schedule kind of territory. If you're talking about Auburn, the two games for A and M immediately following Auburn are the Arkansas game in Dallas, and then which a home is always game, weird, and then a home game against Alabama. And so th- th- those are your those are your first six. So your first six for A and M next season includes a trip to Miami and three SEC games where you probably need to win two of them mm-hmm. to have the fan base feeling good. Yep. And I th- I think there's a chance if if we're talking about zero and four in those four games, you go to Miami and lose week two, you lose at home to Auburn in week four, you lose in Dallas to Arkansas week five, you lose at home to Alabama in week six. They'll find that the game, money. They'll find that the game. Money. That game in week six might be Jimbo Fisher's last game as, as A&M head coach, if, if, if that the would happen. And, and, I mean, that that's where – so that's where when we're talking about the pressure, I don't know how many coaches in the conference are under the kind of pressure where you better have a you better have a two-and-two two or better record in your first four Power Five games this year or you're probably out the door. I, Billy Napier might be in that neighborhood, like I said, but that's the kind of pressure pressure Jimbo's under. And the first home game of that gauntlet is against the Auburn Tigers. So, I I wouldn't lean Auburn in this one, but I wouldn't be surprised if they win that game. Uh, I, I mean, if if they are clicking those first three games and they come in with some really good, especially on offense, come in with some confidence. And again, this is a series where the road team has been very successful. A and M, we'll see how they are coming off that coming off that week two game against Miami, but it could get real interesting real quick uh, for them. And it's like ahead of schedule four and zero if you're there for Auburn. If you're three one, it's like okay, here's what you got to do. It's your first SEC game, but it is it is a it's a statement opportunity. It's a launchpad opportunity for for Hugh Freeze and the staff because the next week you get Georgia at home and it's at home but you you don't you don't feel great about it i think if you're auburn um this is a team that is just you know it's a team that has just owned this series uh is back-to-back national champions i I know georgia's got a lot of new pieces around the plug-in and all that but it's georgia this is the first where you're like yeah this is this is more than likely a loss uh uh, for auburn It, it would take a lot like if Man, if Freeze could find a way to upset Georgia in year one, that you're thinking like, oh my, oh my word, like what, what magic <laughs> could be underway for Auburn? But more than likely, you're looking at a scenario where you're just hoping if you're Auburn for a really competitive game against Georgia at home. The way Georgia has distanced themselves from the teams they play in the regular season, and because they're good teams on Georgia's schedule year in and year out, and the the football probability folks, right, the indexes. The people that'll tell you, you know, win probability for each game right now, there. I mean, maybe where's the Georgia Tennessee game this year? Is it in? I think it's in Athens, but that's that's the only one that's projected to be even competitive, if if that. And 
it's it looks like on paper that kind of season could be that kind of regular season could be in the cards for the Georgia Bulldogs because of the way they've accumulated talent. That's not to say they can't slip up and lose one or two of these games, but they're going to be big favorites every time they take the field in the regular season in 2023. And that's considering the the impact they had on the NFL draft and what they're losing from the team that won the national championship by a million points about six months ago. Like For, for them to go into this season in that position of strength is a testament to the job Kirby Smart is doing and, and what he's built and what he's continuing to build because, uh, yeah, it doesn't feel like they're going to play a ton of competitive games in 2023. Uh, Georgia right now, by the way, uh, they're uh, – because we didn't mention it earlier, Georgia's uh, – as def- back-to-back defending national champions, their uh, <laughs> over-under is 11.5 right now, so – you can bet on whether you think they're going to run the table or not. Like, like that's that's kind of kind of the point we're at. Uh, Auburn has an off week after the Georgia game, and then they go to LSU. So again, the other thing with that that A and M game is like if you can get that win, it's huge because you'll have the Georgia game. I think for Auburn, you'll get to reset against the toughest team you play all year, and then you go to an LSU team which. LSU is going to sneak up on absolutely nobody this year. Uh, coming off that, coming off that SEC championships, uh, SEC West championship season, um, they're at nine and a half right now in a, in over under. They should be really good again. Um, they are ahead of schedule. They are an example of a team that was ahead of schedule in year one. Tiger Stadium, Auburn got the demons out in in 2019, which, or I'm sorry, 2021. My bad, 2021. Um, which that and that and. Face mask colors might be one of the and Jarquez Hunter might be some of the only positive things you can say about the previous era uh, that they were able to accomplish uh, at Auburn. But it's a tough one because, like again, that A and M game where you can see kind of a pivot point for Auburn. If you lose that one, you could easily be three and three and and hit the second half of the schedule saying, okay, you're going to have to to get over that six and a half mark or at least to make a bowl game. Like you're going to have to be a, a pretty good team in the second half of the season. So. Um, LSU, it's going to be tough, uh, especially if it's a night game. Uh, but that that's one where more so than the A and M game, you're feeling that one is like, yeah, you know, it's going to be real. It's going to take a lot for Auburn to win that game. Not as much as the Georgia game, I don't think. But even still, that is on the road, and at least the Georgia game's at home. It's going to be a tough matchup for sure. And, and LSU's run into that one. They go to Ole Miss. They go. They play at Missouri. After that, they play Auburn, and then they play. <laughs> then their next two weeks are. Against Army at home and then an off week. So they could really unload the clip here in this one. Yeah, it's an LSU team, like you said, ahead of schedule after bouncing back from two subpar seasons, the end of the Orgeron era, uh, to hit the ground. I I thought Brian Kelly was going to succeed. Everyone was making their jokes about his dancing and and the fact that he's not Louisiana enough. My my stance on Kelly, I've told you this on on the drive before, uh, Justin, you know, he had to he ran into some very real restrictions trying to recruit to Notre Dame. There there are whether it's academic or cultural, there are players that Notre Dame can go after and and they they, they can't they can't get them into Notre Dame or or it's not going to be a good fit or whatever. I figured if Brian Kelly uh, once he got to LSU where it's a, it's a little bit uh, they're 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 less discerning. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and, and so I think it's Brian, just, as, as, it's, a, it's a different, it's just different. It's a different, yeah, it's a different uh, attitude. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and so I, and we, don't yeah, to, not, we don't have to, we don't have to, like, now I'm not going to sit here and just proclaim Notre Dame to be the greatest yeah. institution in the world, but yeah, it's, it's different. It's different. It's, it's, yeah. Not, not to say better or worse, but, but different. And so I think that it, at, with Brian Kelly's mission at LSU, uh, I thought he was going to be able to find players that, that help him get where, where they need to be. And it, it, he did it in less time than I thought it would take. All right. So um, second half of the season starts with, might I say, could be the spiciest game of the schedule um, for Auburn. Probably will be the spiciest game. October 21st, Saturday, Auburn hosts Ole Miss to start the second half of the year. Dan, the storylines will be rife in this one. I mean, come on. You got Hugh Freeze playing Ole Miss. You got Lane Kiffin facing Auburn. You've got um, you just got you've got so much heading in that. In that you've got you know transfer portal uh, teams that try to overhaul through that that way. It's just it's going to be a lot. And Auburn, Ole Miss in Jordan Hare should be a fascinating one for sure. And again, starting the second half of the year, another potential tone setter, especially if Auburn's coming off a loss in Death Valley the week before. J.J. Pegues facing his former team. Uh, Ladarius Tennyson looks like he could start uh, in the Ole Miss secondary. He could be Ole facing Ole Miss it. coming off an off week, by the way, uh, before that game. Just keep that in mind as well. And and Austin Keys as well, Auburn linebacker, yep. who, who uh, started point. his career at Ole Miss. So there are a couple of players that will be facing their former teams on top of Hugh Freeze, who's going to be facing his former team when Ole Miss comes to town. It's a... It's it's really cool how the Auburn Ole Miss series has become, and I think I think some of it has to do with the success of both programs of late. I think some of it has to do with the fact that so many Alabama high school students end up at Ole Miss, and so it's almost like a homecoming when Ole Miss goes to Alabama or Auburn uh, because they see so many of their friends uh, from uh, from school. Uh, but it's it's a real happening when Ole Miss comes to town. It's become, I mean, the energy, it, it feels like a really big game around town. I think that translates into the atmosphere in the stadium. And now you've got Hugh Freeze, who used to coach at Ole Miss, and now you've got Lane Kiffin, who broke the hearts of a lot of Auburn fans by deciding to stay at Ole Miss, and they're going to face each other uh, in, in, yeah, like you said, one of the one of the more compelling games on the schedule for Auburn, especially when you get past the historic rivalries against Alabama and Georgia. On paper, Ole Miss expected to be a little bit better than Auburn this year in terms of win-losses. Um, this is another toss-up game that it looks like it, I mean, it could be, could be a real defining thing. A&M and Ole Miss, those are two that can really – define how how well this season goes for Auburn so it'll be it'll, that is going to be a fascinating game. but at home what does Auburn look like coming off the that Georgia LSU off week kind of trio they got there not in that order uh, but yeah big one right there for sure uh, and then you get Mississippi State the next week and feels like if you want to feels like if you want to be a bowl team this year if you're Auburn um, and want to have a winning record at the end of the year Feels like you're gonna. It feels like you're gonna have to at least split the Mississippi schools. Not an easy task. Uh, State has won each of the last two in this series. We just said not sure where we think State is gonna look. Was what that's gonna look like this year um, with a new head coach and just everything that that State went through over this past year. I, 
but that you you would imagine you would imagine they're still going to be bring a very competitive team that should have all the confidence in the world thinking they can beat Auburn uh, because they have had, they've had it the last couple of years in the, in very close and very different dramatic type of games. Um, but yeah, Auburn and uh, Auburn and State both uh, projected at six and a half, or their line is six and a half right now. I wonder if some folks are thinking, well, Auburn was so close to beating Ole Miss and Mississippi State and LSU last year. If this team can take some strides in the right direction, you know, can can they do enough to make a, a substantial jump in the win loss record from from this year to last year? And I understand those are just three isolated games from the schedule and you don't want to you know sample size matters and and both rosters will you know both teams will be different uh, fr- from last year to this year but it felt like even even at the darkest moments last year you wondered how far Auburn was from competing against the middle and e- even the high middle of mm-hmm. the of the SEC West and and yeah I think those two Mississippi schools will be you know the games against those two teams will be indicators of where Auburn stands in the West right now, probably better indicators than games against Georgia and LSU if those games don't go well. Now we're in the month of November, Auburn at Vanderbilt. Uh, Vanderbilt won five games last year. They are currently, their their line right now is three and a half. Uh, so the books aren't expecting Vanderbilt to have a repeat performance of what they did last year. That last year for Vanderbilt, obviously, uh, beat Kentucky by three on the road, beat Florida. And then got absolutely drilled by Tennessee at the at the end of the year. Uh, also beat Northern Illinois, Hawaii, and Elon. Against the best of the best, they were uncompetitive. Fifty six to nothing to Tennessee, fifty five nothing against Georgia, fifty five three to Alabama. Against the rest of the league, though, pretty dadgum feisty. Um, so that's gonna be an interesting matchup. They will be coming directly off of a road game at Ole Miss. It's a Vandy game. It's one you gotta have if you wanna if you want to have a if you if you want to go to a bowl game, uh, it feels like it's gonna be one that you, that you gotta have. The talent level is different. Uh, you would feel like Clark Lee's really kind of establishing who Vanderbilt is at this point, and being comfortable in who they are, and being comfortable in and trying to find ways to compete. Um, I won't expect to know the Vanderbilt roster up and down right now, but it does look like. Uh, the experts don't expect Vandy to, to make another run at near bowl eligibility again, but we'll see. We we will see. Uh, Vandy Vandy's got a uh, Vandy's got got some. I mean, they've got some momentum, and uh, and I'll be very interested to see how they do this season. Uh, they start the year Hawaii, Alabama, A and M, Wake Forest, UNLV before eight straight SEC games, um, and they are playing a week zero game again against Hawaii, so they get two off weeks this year. I really liked the Vanderbilt approach uh, last season in games where they had a chance to win. I mean, you're right that the scores against Alabama and Georgia and Tennessee were eyesores, but they were faced they were facing off against other teams that had more talent on paper than they did, and they were beating them. I mean, they beat Kentucky, beat Florida, uh, and and hung in there with some other teams as well. Shout out to Ole Miss or uh, to Vanderbilt defensive line coach uh, Javon Hay. A former NFL player played with the uh, played with the Bucks for a while. was was a Vanderbilt defensive lineman back in the day. He follows me on Twitter. I have no idea why, but it's it's cool that uh, Javon Hay is uh, is out there in the in the Peck Pack, the the Vanderbilt uh, defensive line coach. Uh, but no, I think that's Clark Lee's doing a great job at a place where it's 
you know, you, you could do a, a great job and still struggle to make a bowl game because of the realities facing uh, the, the, the Vanderbilt program in this conference. But, yeah, you're right. You've got ha- you to have this one if you're Auburn, and you want to project that things are going well in year one. You don't want to go in November and lose a game to Vanderbilt in your first year as an Auburn coach because you know, th- then, you're, then you're Billy Napier. Losing to Vanderbilt in year one and having to answer questions about uh, how, how things are going headed into year two. Arkansas, the Razorbacks of Arkansas. How are you feeling about Arkansas this year, Dan? Uh, really interesting team. Last year, 7-6, and 3-5 and five in the SEC. Their three wins over Auburn uh, by two touchdowns. Uh, they beat Ole Miss by 15, and they beat South Carolina by 14. When things were rough for Arkansas, they were really rough. Um Blown out by Alabama. Close loss against A&M in that game. That's always wild. Mississippi State hung 40 on them. Uh, LSU scraped one across, across against Missouri. I mean, it's, I don't know. It was weird because it's just a, it's a interesting team. No, Travis Williams, you know, it'll be Travis Williams' first year as defensive uh, coordinator there. Dan Enos back at Arkansas as well under um, with, with Sam Pittman running the show uh, there. This is a uh, Arkansas has done some good work in the transfer portal. This is an interesting matchup. It's a lot like the it's a lot like the A and M game for me, where it's like, okay, you know, what does this look like? What does the season look like for Auburn? Uh, ultimately, to me, it comes down to A and M on the road, Arkansas on the road, and I, I'll say that Ole Miss and Mississippi State are kind of together. But I'll say Ole Miss first, just because that is the the first one. Those three games are kind of tone tone setting for me. Like if Auburn. If Auburn sweeps all those games, it's going to be a phenomenal year for them in year one. If they win two out of three, you're probably pretty good. One out of two, you're going to be fighting. And then if you lose all three of them, it could be a pretty tough year one. So, like, those are really defining matchups for Auburn. And we know that a good Auburn team usually handles Arkansas. And we know when things are iffier, uh, Arkansas is fully capable of beating you or at the very least giving you quite a scare. And then this one's going to be uh, in Fayetteville this year. Well, it's tempting to look at the Georgia, LSU, and Alabama games and think that Auburn is uh, is is going into those games as a pronounced underdog, and then every other game on the schedule, that's not necessarily the case. And yeah. so those games, those games you just listed, if you want to throw Mississippi State in there as well, right? Like those those could be the difference between going five and seven or nine and three, depending on how things shake out in in those in those games against the top of the league. And if you steal one of the three against Georgia, LSU, or Alabama, then you're talking about significant improvement from what you saw last year, what you've seen the last couple of years. So you're right. Those games against the rest of the SEC West are, you know, those uh, tone setter is a good way to put it because those games really will go a long way to deciding what kind of season Auburn ends up happening. Yeah, this Arkansas team, by the way, as I, as I mentioned earlier, uh, six and a half or seven, depending on where you look for them. Interesting. They will be coming off of a road game at Florida uh, for that one, and they have an easier run-in because they play FIU and Missouri at home to round out the year. They play BYU. KJ Jefferson deciding to stay at school and play another year. I mean, that's be interesting to see what Enos does with him because I mean, like the the Kendall Bryles offense made a lot of sense for him, but it was just, it just seemed like something was always kind of like like they were just on the doorstep of it of like maybe breaking through and being like oh man you do not want to play this Arkansas offense week in and week out maybe Enos is the type of guy who can get him to that point 
Um, but uh, yeah, I like I like KJ Jefferson a lot. Um, he just, you know, he hasn't been, he hadn't been the most over overly accurate passer in the world. Uh, but last season, I mean, he he did step it up there, and it was excellent, just excellent numbers. I mean, he was ten ten touchdowns, one pick in in conference games last season, seventy percent completion percentage. Like I was waiting for him these last couple seasons, to be like all right. Can he take that big step up? And in 2021, he had great numbers. Uh, and also in 2022, he, he really had phenomenal numbers. So um, that that's a big that's a big. And I'm, Enos is a different type of offense coordinator. What what does what does he do with them? Yeah, I, I just love the way he sort of complements the run game with what KJ Jefferson can do. And and that's you assume the offensive line will be competitive because it's Sam Pittman and and he's he's <laughs> got the so. reputation. Yeah, he's he's earned he's earned that reputation as maybe the best. Uh, offensive line coach in college football, so yeah, that's going to be a uh, that's going to be a tricky one. L- let me ask you, Justin. And I don't want to uh, I don't, don't want to capsize things here, but mm-hmm. after after Alabama, Georgia, and LSU, yep. of the other nine games on the schedule, what strikes you as the toughest one for Auburn? At Arkansas, like, yeah, yeah. I, I think it's at Arkansas. You do have the Mississippi schools at home. I feel more confident about Arkansas than I do Texas A and M. I know Texas A and M has that talent, but I, I, I just the 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 program and the way things are going feels feels that it feels like we're in that direction. Um, yeah, I mean Arkansas. The thing with Arkansas is just can against good teams can Arkansas put up the same numbers that because they they will light up some teams that are not as good. Uh, but they they had a look, some of those losses last year were really low scoring ruts for them where they should have been you know probably putting up bigger numbers. I agree. I think that on paper the game at Fayetteville may, may be out you know tops. Ole Miss at home or even going to A&M I would also think that Arkansas is a team we saw it last year in the game at Jordan-Hare if you don't have depth in your in your front seven defensively if you're leaning on the same three defensive linemen to play the whole game or oh, the same yeah. the same three linebackers to play every snap over the course of a four-quarter game against Arkansas you will get washed away Yes. You will. Ju- I mean, you will just. You will not be able to play at that level in the third quarter, in the fourth quarter. And Auburn's defense probably played its worst half of football all season in the second half against Arkansas, and that was a response to starters and and very little depth playing a lot of snaps against a team that's just trying to run it right at you with one of three running backs that are good enough to play uh, just about anywhere. And, yeah, we'll, we'll see what kind of improvements Auburn has made uh, defensively, especially uh, beyond just the starters when they take on Arkansas. By the way, as we were recording this, to go back to something we talked about earlier, uh, Janai Broom, uh, the, the game four of the G League Elite camp, Janai went 17-8 and eight on uh, uh, in game two. So a really great weekend. Really great weekend for Janai. It'll be very interesting to see. I- I'll be interested to ask – uh, Bruce Pearl here this week, uh, you know, kind of what what, it, what just what his thoughts on Janai Janai was. I remember when Janai announced he was entering the draft and he was, um, you know, retaining his college eligibility. He was like, "Yeah, this dude." Like Bruce tweeted like something along the lines of, like, "Yeah, this dude can play." Um, and and you know, if it's him coming back to us, awesome. But like, he's going to be a pro at some point. Uh, so we'll see there. All right, back to football here, uh, wrapping it up. Uh, New Mexico State, don't want to go too in-depth here on New Mexico State because that is not what you would consider a competitive game as well for Auburn. It is the traditional 
Um, we're going back to SoCon Challenge Weekend, uh, which is now Mountain West-ish Challenge Weekend. Uh, New Mexico State, though, did I'll say this, they did win a game, uh, win a bowl game last year. Did make a bowl, uh, beat Bowling Green in the Quick Lane Bowl. They started zero and four. They <laughs> how about this? They started zero and four. Got beat sixty six to seven to Wisconsin, and then and then uh, promptly won seven of their last eight games. Uh, had a canceled game against San Jose State uh, in there uh, due to the tragedy uh, with the with the Spartans program. Uh, but or I'm sorry, I counted wrong. Um, they ended up winning seven of their last nine. They had two more losses. Lost to FIU uh, and lost to Missouri. Uh, but yeah, this uh, this New Mexico State team uh, under uh, Jerry Kill um, ahead of schedule in year one. Again, uh, should be a game Auburn wins, but you know it'll it won't be a complete. You would think they're not going to be a complete just. Let them let them run you over type of team um, here. I think UMass is definitely the worst team. Uh, they're over under right now is four and a half on the year, so about about what you would expect for a team that's not going to be a super contender in the Mountain West. Yeah, not a not a team that should be in a position to challenge an SEC team. Oh, I'm the sorry, they're the not season. in the Mountain West anymore. They're an independent. Uh, forgive they're, me. They're, but they're they're also they're they're not a team that you would think of of you know they don't they don't have the profile of coming the last week of the season and and, and you know we've we've seen games like this before, uh, but I'm an idiot. Uh, I'm sorry. Oh, did, did we, I'm sorry. I'm an idiot again. They weren't it. They weren't. They probably were never in the Mountain West. They were in the whack for a while. They've been an independent. They are one of the new teams joining Conference USA this year in the big reshuffle where. You got the AAC teams going to the Big Twelve. You got the Conference USA teams going to the AAC, and New Mexico State's filling in. They are now uh, Conference USA is going Conference USA this year in football. FIU, Jacksonville State, Liberty, Louisiana Tech, Middle Tennessee, New Mexico State, Sam Houston, UTEP, and Western Kentucky. That is a wild conference, but yeah, that that'll be a that'll be a game you could mark down as you don't want to say an automatic win. Well, you, you'd like to say an automatic win, uh, but. You know, this is this will be a very likely win for Auburn there, and then it's Bama. It's Bama at the end of the year, and uh, look, there's going to be a whole lot of football. We're going to learn a lot between now and then with uh, with Auburn and Alabama. I'm fascinated to see how the uh, Tyler Buckner thing goes for for Alabama, uh, because that has got a lot of polarizing opinions. Bama is going to be good at pretty much every position on the field. The quarterback's going to be really interesting to see, especially in a year this this past year where they were not the kings of the SEC West like they usually are. And it's been a while since Alabama had a quarterback who wasn't a superstar, right? You think yeah. about the run of Jalen Hurts and Tua Tonga-Vailoa, Mac Jones, and, and now uh, Bryce and they, Young. And, they, and, and, like, Mac morphed into that. Because, like, Bryce and Tua were five stars. You know, and they, 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 like, you knew they were going to be the guys. This is this will be different. This will be – it's be kind of like having to. You know, they're gonna have to find a Mac. They're gonna have to find a Mac out of this out of this crew, and and, and probably end up being Buckner. I mean, I would think the Tyler Buckner. I mean, he, he, he was a good, like and the, he was a good prospect. And it's yeah. just his his start at Notre Dame was it like blow blow you away good. Yeah, Tyler Buckner was a, a big time recruit coming out of high school that didn't have a stellar run at Notre Dame, but knows enough about the Tommy Reese system that I would think. He looks like the favorite, but that feels like a competition that could continue into the season unless someone just runs away with it. And you're right. That's different than what we've seen out of Alabama at quarterback the last couple of years. You know, Even the fact that there could be 
a drawn-out competition between a couple of quarterbacks is a little bit different than what we've seen when Alabama had one guy who was you know, not not just the most capable guy in the room, but one of the most capable guys in all of college football. And I'm not one of these, the dynasty is ending types. No. But it's more vulnerable when, than it has been. When, when these things start to turn, it starts with quarterback. Mm-hmm. It's, I, mean, yeah. I mean, you look at you look at the college football dynasties, and usually it's Pete Carroll at USC has this run of great quarterbacks, and when the quarterback production starts to falter, yep. everything starts to head in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. Miami. That Clemson. was one of the things that happened for yeah Clemson. I mean, there there are examples of this. And I don't think uh, DJ. Er- I don't think DJ was a bad quarterback. It's just he wasn't Trevor Lawrence or Deshaun Watson. And and to er- and to that point, Kelly Bryant wasn't either. I mean, aside from the one year of Kyle Trask, that's the last thirteen years of Florida football. After after sure. twenty years yeah. of having as good uh, production out of the quarterback position of just about anybody over several yeah. over several coaches for sure. I mean, I mean, since Tim Tebow graduated. Uh, it, it's been a decidedly different story at the University of Florida, and that's what I they, think that that's what made Miami's run. Uh, that's what made Miami's run so wild because it was just like they had like they had some good quarterbacks, but they did not have like superstars. It was just everything else was clicking. And maybe Alabama can be that team. Maybe Alabama. I mean, people didn't think Stetson Bennett was going to be that way at Georgia either, but he ended up being that way. Yeah, Stetson Bennett was as Ken Dorsian as just about any quarterback we've seen. You know, for a national champion of late and you're right it's it's a tough way to do it especially when you know it seems like offense rules the day but if if you got if you got the players everywhere else you can you can make it happen and that's it it, I never really thought about it too much but this this run Georgia's on right now it is a little bit reminiscent of the Butch Davis Larry Coker Miami Hurricanes in that it's not a quarterback shattering records doing this stuff it's having 11 high-level NFL players on your defense and and some other ones on the offense too uh, playing a uh, playing a big role in your success we've already gone deep with this podcast sorry over an hour and a half but I, I just want to say this um, to, to wrap it up with 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 the game by game the thing about Alabama and the thing about this game is it still remains true when Auburn is a competitive team at home against Alabama it is it, it's it's a game it's a game it there have been very few times recently when that game has been played in Jordan Hare where it has been Alabama's been able to end and just just wash out Auburn a good competitive Auburn team. Now, they will blow out they will blow them out in Brian Denny and they will blow them out uh, when Auburn's not uh, on on their game, but you saw it 2 years ago. Um and we'll see if you can see it again and and what happens in the first 11 can will will determine a lot, especially if we were like say like we were saying if Alabama's more vulnerable this year than they have been, you know, for for the vast majority of the of the Nick Saban era. All right, so Dan, I, the way I'm looking at it right now, when we look at six and a half, I'm seeing for Auburn, I'm seeing three. If they don't win, something wild has happened. Games in UMass and in Sanford and in New Mexico State. I'm seeing two games where they should win. This is like you got uh, kind of feels like got to have them games, but they're on the road against power five teams, and that's Cal and Vanderbilt. I look at those games kind of very equally, and then I have some games where I would say maybe lean Auburn. You know, uh, maybe a couple of them you would kind of lean uh, Auburn, and for me, 
the home games against Ole Miss and Mississippi State just because they're at home. I think you put them in a different class as, say, a uh, you know the the games against A and M and Arkansas. Although I'm 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 higher on Arkansas than A and M. I feel like you get that you can kind of separate the Mississippi schools in their own little group, and you can separate that A and M and Arkansas games in their own little group, and then you have three which. All things being equal, you would expect Auburn to be the dogs in those games and would need to play really, really well to win any of them, and that would be um, that would be Georgia. I would say LSU and uh, on the road and and Alabama, which I just got you know got done saying Alabama game that has a special little asterisk if if Auburn's good. So that's kind of the pots you're seeing. And so of the of the games that you're looking at for Auburn. Say they get all the wins they should. Say they beat Cal and Vanderbilt on the road. Dandy, you see two wins out of, and I'll run them again, at Texas A&M, Georgia, at LSU, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Arkansas, Alabama. Do you see two out of that? I would lean towards yes. I would I think as well. Auburn can win. I think Auburn can win two of those games. Um, Picking which two not, would be fascinating, but and yeah. we don't have to do that. But I, if you're looking at it from a pure like, if Auburn wins the games that you feel like they're going to be the better team definitively in, then it just comes down to can you win two of the games where either you're not as good or maybe you're not as far along? Because like the 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 Ole Miss, Mississippi State, and Arkansas, they, there's not a huge talent gap there. Right there, even A and M's a bigger talent gap, but that's been more recruiting than actual results at this point. Um, yeah, it's and it feels like the results between Ole Miss and Mississippi State haven't been that far apart, but the buzz around yes. one program yes. has been considerably higher than the buzz around the other. To the to the degree where I would think that of the seven games you just listed, State at Jordan Hare probably feels like the most winnable of of those seven. Uh, mm-hmm. But I don't. But I, you know, I don't know how much daylight is between State and Ole Miss. You know, and, and both of those games are at Jordan Hare, and you know they they've been incredibly competitive when they've both you know been on the field against each other these last couple of years. So I would think I would think we would both be in agreement six and a half. We'd probably both say over if we had to put money on it. But we're not sitting here and saying eight, nine, ten wins for Auburn. But just just to clear the six and a half mark to be 7 and 5 to guarantee that you will have a winning season heading into the you know, by the end of the regular season. I feel like that's a step that's attainable for Auburn. I think the schedule helps him in, the, in that regard, but I, I do think it's a good spot. I, I shouldn't even speak this into existence, but it did occur to me over the weekend the funniest possible outcome, Justin, would be 11 and 1 with an with a, with a one-sided loss to Georgia. Oh god. And, the, and and then you and then you go to the SEC Championship game and you lose to Georgia again. And eleven and two with two losses to Georgia gets you into the playoff as the four seed against Georgia, where you then play Georgia again. So eleven and eleven and three with three losses to Georgia. I would is, love for that to happen because this is the last year of the of the of the four team format. Because like in years past, it'd be like, hey, hey, you're eleven and two. Like we've talked about that with the twenty seventeen team. It's like, hey, you're eleven and you're eleven and two, and you lost the SEC title game. Okay, that's fine. You're still going to be a pretty good seed in the playoff, and you'll 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 probably play a team that's not as good as you to start nope not in this there, one there was a there was a florida state quarterback a couple of years ago that lost five games to miami in four years and that's impressive but three times in one season i mean could be i mean that that's that's where you could be with a, with a rivalry like that so i don't want that to happen but there is a chance of it i you know and and that's uh 
like you said, it, this is probably the last year something like that could happen. And uh, yeah, that that would be that that'd be a, a tough pill to swallow. <laughs> well, now that Dan's put that into the universe. Let's let's wrap up the podcast. Thanks everybody for listening. Oh, this was a long one. We wanted to make sure we got you got you a good one out here. Uh, a good wanted to make it worth your while. Uh, and you know when you start going through game by game through these teams, it gets gets to be a little lengthy. Uh, but we'll have more preseason stuff as we get deeper and deeper in the year. I'm looking forward to kind of more of this preseason look ahead content. We're gonna have uh, at least a couple of guests here in in the in the next few weeks and months uh, to kind of talk big picture with us. Uh, heading into college football season, I think Athlon dropping is always uh, is always a great time for me as someone who got Athlons from the time he was a very small child. And uh, I've said it before, I when I was a kid, I would write and draw my own Athlon. Like I would have an Athlon, and I had like a made up team that I had on the on the NCAA. But I but I made my own season previews and wrote it out. Probably should have been an early sign for me that this was the line of work I would have gone in, but didn't wasn't thinking about that when I was eight. I imagine the portal has made it tougher on the magazine oh, people man. because now yeah. you've got. I mean, I I know that the that Mark and Jason. I don't know if they still publish the magazine anymore because so much of the season, uh, pro, you know, so much of the prediction stuff it changes. Change, yeah. Changes when you know with 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 arrivals and departures yeah. in April and May. Uh, but they're still you know putting great stuff online. Phil Steele, Athlon, all that. Oh, yeah. But I imagine for the actual yeah for the publication dates. You know, that's crazy. Like, yeah, yeah I mean, the, and the and the video game roster people, you know, all that <laughs> stuff's got to be got to be real They're tough rough. for uh for uh for, for for this this new timeline. I was gonna also mention, uh, yeah, with all that preseason, I, the new SP Plus. Whenever that gets, when the new SP Plus gets refreshed, I can't wait for that as well. So it's getting close, folks. It's getting close. Like we said this week, uh, back on speaking tour season for Auburn coaches, we'll be following around, and uh, we'll have a lot of stuff from that on the observer uh and uh, we'll be back thursday will probably be our next podcast thursday morning will be the premium one so subscribe if you haven't already for six dollars a month or six dollars a year um dan without painter we 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 had one of our longest podcasts ever so that's but i mean we both of us know we can talk forever like we're we we have no problems with that um, yeah, stuff stuff was stuff was edited out of this podcast. Oh, People yeah. should know. <laughs> I co- I had a factual error so wrong and so blatantly wrong in this one that I had to, like Painter had to cut it. So um, we got that as well. But that that'll do it for me. Dan, final thoughts. Enjoy. Uh, oh oh, have a. I hope everybody had a happy and healthy and safe Mother's Day weekend. Absolutely. As well, yeah. That's you know. Sh- shout out to shout out to all the moms out there. Shout out to the folks. Uh, who uh, you know who, who, don't, who don't have theirs anymore? Uh, thinking about you on this uh, on, on this holiday weekend, and uh, and and yeah, hopefully uh, ho- hopefully you were able you were able to enjoy the day. <laughs>